Welcome to the Best Boss Ever podcast. I'm your host, Christine LaPerriere, president of Leader in Motion. On this show, we're going to gossip about the best boss you ever had. We're going to hear stories about things that they did that helped you feel valued, helped you feel engaged, and really inspired you. We want to hear about the bosses that changed the way you look at everything. If you want to hear more, join me at christinelaperriere.com and sign up for our newsletter, The Whip. And today we have Monica Stewart on the show, and I'm excited to talk to her because she reached out to us on LinkedIn with a particular angle on her experience of a best boss. So Monica, thank you so much for coming on the show. Hey, Christine. Thank you so much for having me. Great to be here. Amazing. And then please introduce yourself just for everybody listening. Yeah, definitely. So my name is Monica Stewart. I'm the founder and CEO of Five Limes Consulting. And what we do is we work with startup founders, CEOs, and sales leaders to help them grow their business in a meaningful and sustainable way. Amazing. That sounds like very interesting work. Yeah, it is. So now I'm going to just dive in. Tell us who's your best boss ever and why. So when I saw your post on LinkedIn, the first person that came to mind right away was the first boss that I ever had besides my dad, who was the first person that ever hired me for a sales job. And the first person that hired me out of college, his name was Jared Rose. At the time, I didn't even want to be in sales. I graduated with a political science degree. Everyone was telling me I should go to law school. I didn't want to do that. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. But what I did know is that I did not want to be an executive assistant, which is what every recruiter that I spoke with tried to get me to interview for. They were like, what industry do you want to work in? Okay, great. Let's try to get you an executive assistant role. And I was like, what is this, the 70s? Like, (laughs) (laughs) That is a little offensive, actually. It actually was. And I mean, just so that everyone is aware, this was like the mid 2000s. So Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, it's a little bit better now, but yeah, it's been it's been slow going. So, you know, even at at the age of like 21, I was like, yeah, that's never going to take me where I want to go. So I was like looking around and I found this conference company and I interviewed with Jared. I was the first person that he hired to build this division that he was building inside the company. And we just, we got along. He had the same major in school. We vibed and I convinced him to hire me. And I think that what he did that was so effective, and and I think that it specifically worked for like someone with my personality is he gave me some very basic tools. Like the things that he told me to do were the things, I mean, a lot of the things that like I still teach teams in sales today. And just for some context, it was a conference company that did institutional investment education events. And my job was to cold call and email like the biggest institutional investors in the world, like the people that run like the AP funds in Sweden or like the BP pension fund or something. And then get them to come to our events or ideally like kind of help us develop the events. So it was pretty intimidating and I didn't really have a lot to go on. It was basically like make a hundred cold calls between the hours of 7 a.m. and like 1 p.m. when European hours are over. Jared sat about five feet away from me. He made no calls. So it was basically just like me sitting on a phone, making cold calls, making cold calls. No one else is in the office yet. Like everyone can hear everything that I'm saying. And I think that what he told me is he was like, okay, 
he's like, you know, you do this. And then a week later you follow up again. And then you do that like five more times. Like it was just very like basic, not overly complicated, just sort of like, this is how you run this process. And then he gave me a framework for how to think about those conversations. And then he gave me a lot of freedom. So the framework was basically like, do whatever you can that you think will work. And I think that I had, I didn't even know enough to be intimidated at that age. So I just sort of jumped right in. And so I ended up doing really well, really quickly. And within a couple of weeks, he was like, I think he was sort of like, okay, she's going to work out, you know, like, I'm not going to like, like, she's going to like keep this job. I'm going to invest in her more. So he said, okay, you're going to come to the next event that we're having, which was this conference in Lisbon, Portugal. So I'm like, oh my gosh, okay. Like get my passport renewed really quick. Fly to Lisbon. We spend a day like setting up and then it's the night before the conference is starting. And I'm like, okay, like what's the plan? And so I asked him if he had a couple of minutes and I went to his hotel room with my little notebook and I was like, so what do you want me to like do here? You know, like, do you want me to sit in the sessions and learn about all of the content? Do you want me to help like run logistics and check people in? Like, what's the goal? And he was like, oh, that's right. You've never done this before. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I just invited you, you know, as a guest. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, oh yeah, I forgot. You don't know about, you don't know how this works yet. He gave me like still one of the best pieces of advice that I've ever gotten, which was, he was like, look, basically all I want you to do is just try and make connections with people because ultimately the reason that you're here is to take over like a lot of my relationships so that I can keep building this business. And so, you know, everybody here I know personally pretty much, but I want them to know you. So just talk to people. And then at the end of the event, you can tell me who you think you made a good connection with. And then I'll tell you which of those you can take over as your clients. And I was like, cool. And he's like, there's just one thing that you need to remember, which is don't try to impress anyone because you can't, you know, like you just graduated Mm. from college. These guys are... They're in their 50s. They're highly educated. They've been everywhere. They manage trillions of euros. Like, it's just no. And he said it in a way that it was not disempowering at all. It was actually extremely empowering because it took all of this pressure off. And it wasn't in any way a put down. It was just like, it was honest, you know? And it was just like, look, like, this is what it is. Like, don't try to impress anyone because you can't. Just try to connect with people, just talk Mm. to them. And that just resonated with me so strongly. And I think it was also what I wanted to do anyway, but I'm like, you know, you're, it's like, is it going to be enough? And it was the best, it's probably like the best antidote to imposter syndrome that I can think of, you know? Right. It's exactly what I'm thinking the whole time. How many of us feel terrified in a situation like that. I mean, I would even like just the heads of multiple financial institutions or whatever. I'd be very nervous, right? Totally. What a great piece of advice. It really was. And it was, you know, there's some situations I think in which you do really have to to psych yourself up and be like, I, you know, yes, like I own this and I am that person. But I think there's so many situations in life where you're like, I'm not like there's the only thing that I have to offer here is my attention. And that's 
in and of itself extremely powerful. So, so that's what I did. And then I had a great time and the conference was great and I made a bunch of friends and then I just sort of continued doing that. And then I think like once we sort of started to develop some trust, the other thing that was so transformational about that experience is that he gave me a lot of freedom, which I think was a function of just, I think I was maybe the first person that he had ever managed And he was just sort of like, well, she's doing her job, like she's doing well. So I'll just let her keep doing that. Like, great. That's why I hired her so that I can go do other things like. Right. And then he sort of would give me as much guidance as I needed, but he also gave me a ton of freedom. So and with that, I did like crazy things like by the end of that job, I convinced the company to organize a conference in Iceland because I just really wanted to go to Iceland. And I put together. <laughs> so I really wanted to go to Iceland. Yeah. So that's where we should so, do it. So I made an event there. Like I created Amazing. the whole program. I got all the speakers. It was a really successful event. It actually ended up being right before, like a month before the 2008 financial crash which if you followed anything about yeah banking at that time, Iceland's economy as a country was extremely involved in. So at the last minute, like the minister of finance, they found out about my event because I mean, it, obviously like Iceland is a tiny country and the minister of finance of Iceland like called us and asked if he could come and speak. And then the president of the country hosted a reception for us at his house. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) How often do you hear that? (laughs) Never. It was so cool. Oh, that is so cool. Yeah. And it's, it was just like an extremely such the opposite experience of being someone's executive assistant. Right. (laughs) Right. Right. Best, best career decision ever. And I think it really, it allowed me to grow really fast in a really short period of time. And I think, you know, for somebody coming right out of school, it changed the way that I saw myself as a professional in an irreversible way. That's amazing. Amazing. I That is a great story. Anything else you want to add to that? The thing is, Christina, is when I was kind of putting together my thoughts on this, it also made me think about how since that time, the way that most sales organizations are run has changed completely. So, you know, even for a small company like that, right now, there would be like probably three or four different roles and I would have to start in one of those roles. And I do have a lot of concern for people that are entering sales or have in the last like five years that they're just not getting those opportunities anymore. I saw a post on LinkedIn the other day where or I believe it was maybe in Modern Sales Pros, where somebody was asking if they should allow an SDR to go to a a big in-person client meeting that they had set up. And this is like a major enterprise sale. So this person probably spent like, you know, a couple of months working with like 10 different contacts, like to get everybody in the same room. And they were doing great. They were hitting all their numbers. They were crushing their role. And they were wondering if they should invite them to go and meet the client in person and go along with the sales team. And it was like a real debate, like more than half of the people in the conversation were saying no. And it's like, well, how do you expect people to see a career path if they do everything right and they're doing everything that you're asking them to do and actually probably exceeding expectations and you don't even give them the chance to like get in the room? Yeah, no, that's sad, actually. It's really sad. Yeah. Yeah. 
And then maybe in two years, that person is going to be promoted to an account executive. And then all of a sudden, they're going to be expected to flip a switch and just know how to do that innately. Like, right. I think that those those sort of like quantum growth opportunities can be so transformational for people. And I think that one of the things that's really been lost in you know, what predictable revenue taught us and, and kind of the, the assembly line model that most sales orgs are running today is that people don't get those opportunities as much. Yeah. They're not getting creative enough with how they manage the process. Yeah, exactly. So do you have any other leaders that come to mind when you think of your best boss? I do. So I always, I always tend to think of things in threes. I don't know why it just, my brain just works that way. So that was the first person that I ever worked for. And then the second person would be actually the last person that I ever worked for, which was Jake, who's the CEO of Scaled Consulting that I was at for a couple of years before I went off and recommitted to my own practice. So after I started with Jared, then I embarked on this whole 15 year long sales career. I started working in B2B SaaS. I started like training the teams that I worked on. Then I started being a sales leader. And then I just went into consulting and I started helping other companies build their sales teams. And I actually went into consulting before I worked with Scaled. So I did it on my own and then I was with them and now I'm back with my own practice again. And I think at that time, like that job was really my dream job. It was the culmination of everything that I had been working really hard for, for like many, many years, just like you know, really doing like the whole startup hustle thing, like 10 to 16 hour days, pushing really, really hard, like constantly redefining what my notions of success were. And for me, like working for Scaled was like the culmination of all of that, because in my mind, I didn't want to be tied to working for just one company. I wanted to be able to help like as many different teams and as many different founders as possible. So to me, I I kind of saw that as like the best way to do that. And I was really excited about also like learning from Jake because he has a ton of experience. He's an incredible sales leader. And the way that that the whole thing started is they actually asked me to come and work for them as a consultant because they had a bunch of new projects that they thought that I would be really good on. And I accepted that on the condition that I could have a desk in their office in Soho because I live nearby and I really don't like to work from home. And I I really just wanted to be able to come into the office and just hear Jake talk on the phone every day because I thought that I would learn a lot from that. And then after about a month and a half of this, they were like, why don't you just like work here? Like, why don't you just help us run this company? And so at first I was like, oh my gosh, yes. And then I was like, oh, man, like I just failed at not working for someone else again. That was supposed to be the whole point. But I thought, okay, I'm going to learn a lot from this experience. And I think that like what that experience was, was it was like the pressure that forms a diamond. It was probably the most intense job that I've ever had. And now I would never say yes to that type of environment which was also a big learning for me is that that's actually not something that I want to create in my life. And it's not the way that I ever want to run my own business. But I think at the, at the time it was probably the only thing that I would have paid attention to because I had just gone through this, this like run of working at companies where I was so valuable to them 
that they didn't really challenge me on things that I probably needed to be challenged on because I was getting results. Right. And this is unfortunately something that happens to a lot of people and a lot of salespeople and sales leaders that are really good at their jobs. And this is one of the reasons that the industry has such a bad reputation is so many people are allowed to form like bad work habits and like toxic patterns of relating with people because no one calls them out on it. I think you said in one of your other podcasts, the like the broccoli in your teeth thing, like there are very few people who will really have that conversation with you because they don't want to disrupt all of the progress that you're making and all of the things that you're doing for the company. And like for me, I I had just come off of a run of the last three companies that I worked at all being successfully acquired, which I contributed a lot to like two of those wouldn't have happened if it weren't for me. One of them I can't take as much credit for because that was Trello and they were already well on their way. But it's like if you're you're working at a startup and your your boss is like almost the same age as you, like you just don't get that like structure. I had developed a structure that worked for myself, but I needed to like level that up. And that's what working at Scaled really did for me. What were your bad habits? Can I ask? Sure. Yeah. So my bad habits were always being super last minute for things because I knew that I could just, I could make it work. Like I could just show up and talk and be brilliant and like run the presentation and just like wing it. My other bad habits were overthinking things that I was doing. I am a huge perfectionist and have a lot of tendencies as a procrastinator, like a lot of people do. It was hard for me to get in the habit of just like forcing myself to ship things in small iterations. Mm -hmm. That was definitely something that I learned. And then I would also say like faster communication cycles. I would delay difficult conversations because I wanted to think about the right way to do it, or I would always just prioritize something else first. Got it. Yeah. And so now you're working for Jake and you're in this environment and these bad habits, they're not going to give you the same latitude, I guess. Yeah. A hundred percent. The vibe at the time was very like, and I think also because I was on the leadership team, it was like everything Like my whole life was work, basically. All of my personality, my personal habits, what I did outside of work, all of it was sort of accessible, which is one of the things that I wouldn't say yes to now. Like I would never now do like work calls at 8 p.m. or 10 p.m., for example. I was traveling like at least 25% of the time. And I was like, oh, sure, that's fine. I'll just like fly back from Boston at 10 p.m. and then the next morning get on a train at 5 a.m. to like go see this client here. Like it was not work. There was no work-life balance at all. So that was the part that like ultimately kind of led me away from it. But in kind of the journey of getting there, I had to face a lot of the bad habits that I had and also just learn how to work with people in a way that I had never had to do before because I was managing our consulting practice, which meant that I was interfacing with like maybe 30 to 40 consultants and then all of our clients all at the same time. So it was like this amazing like black belt boot camp crash course in like incredible diplomacy and negotiation skills and also like a lot of very 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 directed I would say tactical empathy. So the skills that you learn when you're like learning how to be a really great salesperson which is like 
figuring out what might go wrong in any given situation, understanding what it is that people need from you and and how the best way is to deliver that to them and how to get people to like sort of align towards a common goal and then like push them towards the outcome that you want, which is something that you do in the sales process over and over. That was pretty much what I did every day with like 30 people that were not full-time employees and were all running, had their own businesses and their own lives and their own styles. And then any number of startup founders who are also very chaotic. And it was just like this constant, like making all of those pieces fit together and work together. Right. And it sounds intense. So then how did Jake, tell me a little bit more about how did he influence the way that you pressure that forms into a diamond, right? So it sounds like it was an amazing experience for you all the same, even if it was chaotic and intense. Like, tell me a little bit more about how Jake influenced that. I would say that like those, you know, like those broccoli in your teeth conversations, he probably has those conversations like 10 times a day with different people. It's like probably one of his favorite things to do, which... (laughs) (laughs) You're like, thanks. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it's, I mean, it's a real gift because it's not, you know... That is not an easy thing to do for people. And it 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 must take an incredible amount of energy to even pay that much attention to so many people all the time. So that the information was really valuable. But I think that like for me, just to like sort of drop my ego a little bit and be able to hear that was also really, really, really valuable because sometimes you don't want to. Like if sometimes like if that happens to you, like once you're like, wow, amazing. Thank you so much. And if it happens to you like once every couple of months, you're like, oh, this is great. I'm growing so much. If it happens to you like every day, (laughs) sometimes you're just like, I know, but like, just give me a minute, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So it was like that level of performance that I hadn't really encountered anywhere before. And a lot of people really struggled with it. Like a lot of people didn't actually do well under that environment. Um, And that's why I say, I think it was like, really what I needed at the time, but not something that I would choose again. Right. It's really interesting though. It speaks to a value of almost like like a pressure cooker type of environment. And all of us love that short-term stretch, but the burnout that comes from that. Totally. And that's exactly what happened is I got, I ended up getting really burned out And at the same time that I was kind of going through that journey and like, I really committed myself there. And for a while I was like, this is exactly what I wanted. I mean, even to the point where when I was working at Hanjiva, it's now called S&P Global Market Intelligence, I would ride a city bike up Lafayette Street through Soho to get to that office. And I would ride by this particular building and there was a La Colombe coffee shop downstairs and I would be going past there at like, you know, 8.15 or something. And I would see all of these like really cool Soho people getting coffee at La Colombe, just hanging out in the sunshine, like about, and I'm like, man, that would be so nice. They're probably, they probably work like right here and they're just going to stroll over to their office now. Meanwhile, I've like, I'm going to like hop onto a Zoom call like, and that's going to be the, the rest of my day. And for there's just something about like that coffee shop and that building. And that is the building that the scaled offices were in. Interesting. Then I was one of those people. I walked to work. I was there getting my Cortado, 
wearing a cool outfit, like the whole, like the whole thing, like everything that I envisioned is like what that was. I loved my clients. I love the job. I love the freedom. I love working for a small company. I love the traveling for a while. And then kind of like, I think a pressure cooker is a good analogy because eventually the pressure sort of like pushed me out of that into a new phase in my life where during that time, I was also kind of going through like some personal reviews and kind of thinking about like what I wanted the direction of my life to be. And I started to realize that there was some real friction between that and like what my my job was. And part of it, I think, was actually like that level of like personal scrutiny and like performance expectation eventually started to conflict with like new ideas of myself that I was forming. So I remember like there was one time that we were having dinner with the other partner and some of our consultants. And we were talking about a big training rollout that we were going to do for one of our biggest clients later that year. That was sort of like an all hands on deck type of situation. And I think like the other partner was going to, he was going to like, the south of France on vacation with his wife for a couple of weeks that summer. And I was like, well, you know, if we're going to be doing one of the cohorts around August, don't count me in for that because I'm going to be out for two weeks in August because I'm going to Burning Man. And Jake was just like, when are you going to grow up? And I was like, excuse me. And it like, in that moment, I was sort of like, whoa, wait, hold on. Like, like this guy's going to go drink rosé on the beach in the south of France for two weeks. And right. I'm going to go drink rosé at Burning Man. Like yeah. what's the difference, you know? Right. And there were just some things like that where I sort of started to be like, okay, there's some boundaries to draw here between like, th- these are the things that I want to take from this situation. And then these are the things that I'm not willing to, that are not malleable for me. This is the line. There is a line. Yeah. That it's, being, it's getting crossed. Yeah. And I I think it was really helpful for me to like have the experience of being able to relax a lot of my boundaries and like let in a lot of direction and a lot of advice because I had never felt like I had that much to learn from someone that I worked for before. And then once I had sort of started to complete that cycle, then I started to decide like where my new boundaries were going to be. And then that was one of the things that kind of led me to being like, okay, I think that like I've completed this chapter. Yeah. You're, you're complete. You got a lot from the experience and now it's time for you to be the next version of you. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Yeah. That makes sense to me. So then on that note, tell us a little bit about those who were not, or maybe one that comes to mind that is not your best boss ever. Yeah. (laughs) So, so that was the next, it's almost like a video game, right? Like, you know, like the end of a video game, you face like the final boss and then like you graduate. So the hardest one is yourself. And that was kind of the outcome of my experience at Scaled is it it led me to saying yes to myself in some really important ways that kind of brought me back onto the path of realizing that I actually don't really want to work for anyone else. And I really needed to commit to building a business on my own. So that was something that I thought wouldn't be a huge transition for me because I had always been really self-directed and I've always kind of created my own job wherever I am, like I'll be hired. They're like, okay, you're our third AE hire. And I'm like, 
you know what this company needs? An enterprise sales business. Like, I'm just going to go do that. So I felt like I, you know, and my parents are entrepreneurs and the whole thing. And then I, I started to start to carve out space to start to work on like my own projects. And I ran into every single tendency that can hold you back in rapid succession, like starting, <laughs> with, like, starting with like procrastination. Like I would sit down to do something and then I would be like, well, wait, what am I supposed to even be doing during this time? And like, wait, where's my notes? And da, 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 da. And then I'm like, my God, I would never show up for a meeting with somebody else like this. Like, why am I doing this, you know, for myself? And then that sort of led to, you know, the the second part where it's sort of like, well, whatever, like you're not going to be able to do a job at this right now. So just go do something else anyway. And then feeling really bad at myself because I wasn't being productive enough. And then realizing that I was being the overbearing boss that I was trying to get away from to myself and that I still had that voice in my head that was like, you know, what are you doing? You're never going to be successful. Like, this is ridiculous. And then I'm like, wait a minute, like, who am I performing for? Mm -hmm. And so that was the most interesting part of it was realizing that I still had in my head, like the voice of everybody that I've ever worked for. And it was like this weird, invisible Greek chorus around me in my <laughs> office by myself. Yes, I understand all of that. Really? <laughs> I felt that when I went on, when I went on my own and started my own business in 2008, I had the same, quite a few years of imposter syndrome meets like every negative person that you've ever encountered is like whispering in your ear all day. Yes. <laughs> yeah. 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 And I... I think it's like, we don't have a lot of models for positive motivation and like positive self-management. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of really bad models for that. And I think that in the absence of another framework, your brain just sort of defaults to whatever has worked for you in the past even if what that was, was actually not really that healthy. Like there's a lot of things that can be effective that are, that are actually not really good in the long term. Calling yourselves names and yeah, beating up on yourself and going on about what a total useless loser you are. <laughs> totally. And setting Just like- got no bearing. It's not the helpful way to get a business off the ground, but- <laughs> It's not the helpful way to get a business off the ground. I would never manage anyone else like that. Like the way, the way that I work with other people is so different from the way that I work with myself. It's crazy. Uh, also setting completely unrealistic expectations. Like it took me- three years to realize that I wasn't scheduling like lunch breaks for myself in my calendar. Like I'll just block off my whole day, not necessarily with meetings, but with like times that I'm supposed to be doing things. And then I was like, wait, why am I constantly running late for the schedule that I set for myself? And I'm like, oh, cause I might need to like, I don't know, go walk outside and get a coffee or maybe like make a sandwich or something like that. And like, that's okay. Or if I wanted to, I could even just go for a walk for 40 minutes for no reason, because that's why I work for myself. Wow. You are speaking to the choir right now. I, as, <laughs> as a, yes. I mean, I go through this, con the, by the way, it doesn't really ever go entirely away. 
Right. Right. (laughs) Just has different migrating forms. Right. But to your exact point, I I have a very hard, like if it's between the hours of nine and five, I literally have the hardest time stepping away from my own desk. Yeah. It's just my brain is like, this is going to be failure. (laughs) Like, here you go. Mm -hmm. Like, this is how it happens. Yeah. This is how, totally. you know, it's like one day, you know, you go take the dog for the walk. The next day you're laying on the couch eating chips, watching, you know, reruns, and you just right, completely fail. <laughs> yeah. And I, I have no idea why. I mean, it's like it's good to have a work ethic, but there is definitely, I, I to your point, um, at the start of COVID, had to after burning myself out, I had to give myself mm-hmm. the, the sit down and the tough talk about scheduling lunch. So if you see my calendar right now, there's like a lunch block on every day. And it's just very funny. Cause I had to come back to like, why can I not take an hour, go take 20 minutes to chop up a salad and eat healthy. And like, I, yeah. I'm not, you know what I mean? I'm not on the road. I don't need to have fast food. <laughs> like what is the, why, why right. the rush? What is the rush? <laughs> especially the, when it's the schedule that you created that you have a hard time yeah. keeping up with. You're like, then maybe I need to do something different. <laughs> right. <laughs> I totally get I all of it. creating all of this. Yeah. I yeah. totally get it. I, you know, I do think that there's this thing, which is like the other journey where, you know, you have, I don't know if you do, I have a lot of anxiety that if I'm not doing something, then like nothing is going to be happening in my business which was then also an invitation to be like, oh, well, like I should change that, you know, because that's not really a long-term strategy. So all of these learnings have been really eye-opening. And then the other, I think the other part about it is it's also given me like so much more empathy and like even like strengthened my resolve for why I do what I do. Because the reason that I do what I do is I really... I just have such a soft spot for people that start their own businesses because I've worked in them, you know, and I know how hard it is. And like, I've seen, you know, I've been with companies that have gone from like, you know, the like 10 or 20 employees to like almost a hundred and like huge success and seeing what that meant for everybody there, especially the people that were there from the beginning on a, professional financial level, but also just on a personal level is like still some of my happiest like moments in life. Like that is just so freaking rewarding for me. And I think that now it also like has given me an even deeper level of empathy because I've known for a long time that like, if you have a company and like less than a hundred people up until that size, like the way that your company works and the personality of your organization is literally you just like spread onto that organization. And I see like that reflected in myself as well. And I think like having a greater personal experience of it has also helped to to make me better at what I do because it's easier for me to see it in other people too. Right. You've gotten more perspective because you're now in multiple seats of it. Exactly. Because it's like all these learnings, you know, like that you need to, you need to schedule time for all the things you need to do in a day, including like eating and that, you know, you need to make the things that you do scalable and all of that. This is like advice that of course, like I would give to anybody else, but it's also amazing how, no matter how much, you know, and how much experience you have, somehow you always still have to go through all of the steps yourself anyway. 
Trust me. I have, I yeah. are <laughs> speaking to the converted. I get that completely. So that is amazing. So just kind of, as we're starting to wrap, I I'm curious, you know, that there's leaders that are listening to this and they're on the hunt for becoming, or they're maybe they already are best bosses and they're always looking for fresh <laughs> ways. What would be some of the tips that you would give them? Oh man, there's two books that I would recommend that have helped me immensely. One is The Upper Limit Problem by Gay Hendricks. Oh, I like that yeah, one. It's mm. really good. He has some podcasts too, if you don't want to read the whole book. There's another one. It's a book that a friend of mine gave me that I've I've probably given out like six copies to people so far, which is called The Diamond Cutter. I can't mm. remember the name of the author, but it's the best explanation of like super practical application of Buddhist principles that I've ever come across. And it's it's cool because the name refers to the Diamond Cutter Sutra in Buddhism, but it's also about a literal diamond importing company that these Buddhist monks run. It's just a very, very, very cool book. It's not like fluffy at all. It has like extremely practical like practices that you should do. I will be Amazoning that. As soon as we're it's off the call. Super good. It's super <laughs> And the good. Upper it's... Limit Problem is a fantastic book. So you've got one great referral that I know of, and now I'm looking forward to reading the other one. Good. I think you'll really like it. And then the other thing that I would say is like, always be willing and maybe like just make some time to do this once a month or once a quarter, if once a month is, is not feasible, like to sit down and come back to your, to your core principles of like, what are your goals that you want to achieve in your business? But then also, why did you start your business? And how is that being reflected in your life? And then be willing to just completely throw everything out. I am a big fan of, you know, calendar blocking and scheduling all the time for the things that you need to do. But I'll go back and and redo my calendar like once a month because I'll realize like, I don't really need this time or there's this other thing that I'm doing that I haven't been making time for. I actually don't want to go on LinkedIn in the morning because I don't want to look at anything on the internet in the morning until I've like, you know, done my deep thinking or whatever it is. So I would say that like, it's sort of like a, a strong opinion, loosely held approach to managing your life. Like try something, you know, go for it see how it works and then be willing to just completely try something else. Another thing that's influenced me a lot is the one thing by Gary Keller. And I think that this is so, so, so powerful for people that are, that are in leadership or that are, you know, on the journey of leading themselves, which is like, it's okay to not do all of the things all of the time. In fact, you can't like, it's totally fine for a while to just be like, I'm going to be really selfish with my business right now. And I'm just going to do that. And I'm not available for people. And like, maybe I will see, I'll, I'll have like two social things like a month and like, that's it. And I'm happy with that. I'm going to be a hermit for a while because I really want to go far in this part of my business. And then sometimes it's okay to just sort of like coast and be like, you know what? I really need to take care of myself right now. And I'm going to do all the things that that needs to do. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to, you know, show up to the meetings and, you know, do the thing, but I'm not really trying to like push forward a lot on my business right now because I need to take care of myself more. Um, it's okay to not be like making progress on all fronts all the time. Right. 
I love that. I just think that's interesting because I wrote a book called Too Busy to Be Happy. And it's really this concept of work-life wisdom. And I keep saying work-life wisdom to me is so much different than work-life balance. Yeah. Work-life wisdom is like knowing what you need. Mm-hmm. It's like that boundary, but it is a migration and it's changing and it's not fixed. So your work-life wisdom might look very different than mine. And that's, that's so true. You know, taking out this this thought of balance which almost insinuates 50-50 right off the bat. And to your idea, it's like, it doesn't, I think the problem is, is so much of us feel like we're failing in this work-life balance thing. But if you come back to this idea of work-life wisdom, which is, I'm very much like you, where it's like, I kind of power, I power hard in the fall, I power hard in the spring, but I do like a big break the Christmas and a big break in August. Like, and I recoup, like I just, but it's very intentional because I just have learned that that's my work-life wisdom. Like I need, I can turbo power for about eight months out of the year. And then I very instinctively do it knowing that there is a day when I'm probably going to do very little work. Like, you know, August is a month that I take it very light, you know, and lots of times for hiking, lots of time for doing the stuff that I like to do, you know, kids, you know, I've got kids, it's ice cream cones and melty faces and all that, but I want that. Like, I don't want to think that I missed that, you know? And so those are super important times for me to do the things that are, you know, so it's just interesting when you say that to me, it's screaming you're finding that work-life wisdom that works for you, or sometimes you're tipped in and sometimes you're tipped back a little bit. It's kind of like making deposits in like different areas of your life that you can like then cash in later. Like you're making like, you know, career deposits. And then in August, you're like, cool, I already did all that work. And now that's just carrying me. And then you get to make like emotional deposit for yourself and for your relationship with your family. Yeah, that's great. Listen, Monica, this was amazing. Thank you so much for taking the time to uh, talk to us today. And like I said, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Christina. It was really fun. If you want to hear more, join me at christineleperriere.com and sign up for our newsletter, The Whip.